Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we will delve into Europe's environmental markets, for example, guarantees of origin. These are controversial. For some, they are the most efficient way of verifying renewable energy output, while others say the system is open to greenwashing. Meanwhile, in Europe's carbon market, prices have been very volatile in recent weeks on fears of market intervention to curb speculation and spiralling prices. Helping me, Richard Sverson, discuss the key issues in both these markets is Marcus Ferdinand of GreenFact. A warm welcome to you, Marcus. Well, thanks and uh, good to be here, Richard. Excellent to have you back on. Uh, let, let's start off talking about guarantees of origin or, or GOs. Now, what are current developments in the market, Marcus? I mean, what, what we have seen, um, especially over the past year, is um, that prices have actually gone up quite a lot. European guarantees of origin prices actually reached all-time highs in 2021. Um, they quadrupled over the course of the year, which was basically driven by stronger demand and, and operators' long-term commitments to renewable energy. Um, also leading to a much deeper and, and actually more volatile market as we compared to what we had seen, seen before. So yeah, in, in the short term, actually, the activity really began to pick up significantly in the, in the new year. Geo prices increased significantly across all recorded vintages and technologies. And, uh, yeah, that was especially so for the 2021 production vintage. So we're seeing more demand for geos from buyers uh, than historically observed. And um, in particular, we're seeing some buyers having waited quite long with their purchase and are now entering the market in uh, probably somewhat of a rush because uh, prices didn't decrease like they expected. So uh, we're also seeing more producers holding off on selling geos while they look at increasing prices and obviously wanting to kind of um, benefit from, from that development. And so I think especially kind of uh, what we see in terms of increasing voluntary commitments to consume renewable electricity through corporate target setting and initiatives like the RE100, as well as climate policy agendas, such as the ongoing Fit for 55 process, which I think ties both into GEOs and, uh, and also the ETS um, to a large extent, will certainly keep demand for green certificates growing. When you say guarantees of origin of hit historic highs, which, if there's a particular type of geos are we talking nordic hydro for example or, or another type because that's the thing about the guarantees of origin market isn't there's not one standardized product is there exactly yeah there's no one standardized i mean obviously nordic hydro is sort of the benchmark uh, contract for for other contracts to follow because there is most liquidity in in that uh, contract and uh, yeah i mean all the other technologies also um obviously increase so i mean there if if you look into uh, nordic hydro i mean uh, we're currently talking but prices of around um, two euro thirty or so uh, for the twenty twenty two vintage. Um, so this is uh, a manifold increase. Um, but we've also seen that for um, kind of the EU, EU kind of products uh, like EU Wind, um, currently trading at one seventy seven um, for the twenty two vintage, as well as uh, solar being at uh, at one seventy or so. So all of those um, kind of followed. Um, the, the Nordic Hydro upwards. And I think this is more a general trend uh, across all markets. And I mean, especially obviously Nordic Hydro was pushed by the, the relatively low water levels in, in the Nordics, right? So, I mean, that is uh, uh, obviously one of the main drivers there, uh, which kind of pushed, uh, pushed kind of the benchmark, benchmark prices higher. But is the, the bull run in commodity markets, is that also having an impact, Marcus, would you say? 
Well, yes and no. So I think like, I mean, what, what we have seen is that the bull run in commodity markets was partly also caused by um, the dry situation in the Nordics, right? I mean, especially when you look into the, I mean, me living in Norway, kind of uh, seeing the uh, the power prices uh, being at uh, multiple levels compared to what we have seen in the, in the previous years is mainly because of two factors, right? You have low, low hydro situation combined with high gas prices on the, uh, in the rest of Europe. So the low hydro situation is obviously also one of the main drivers for for geos, whereas uh, whereas the gas price, um, yeah, is not necessarily reflected on this, right? I mean, the the difference between geo markets and the more conventional power market is obviously that the demand side for geos is driven by certainly by other factors um, than uh, the demand side for the for the over, like for the conventional power side. So for geos, we talk about voluntary demand in a way, right? So you have target settings on at corporate levels. You have in a way consumer choices, which um, yeah make this market uh, kind of developing on on the demand side and uh, i mean this is uh, certainly a bit different compared to what you have on the on the conventional power side where um, the consumption de facto sets the the demand side what are your expectations for demand here marcus do you uh, in this year and maybe the the, the coming ones do you, do you see uh, you talked about uh, the growing voluntary market do you expect this to to continue to expand and what in from what sectors in particular or countries even yeah, it's an interesting one, right? I mean, again, living in Norway is uh, living at the center of the geo market in terms of, uh, of uh, production um, of certificates or of, of issuance. Um, so Norway is, is um, uh, responsible for about one fifth or so of the, uh, the geos um, kind of um, pushed into the um, European system. So, I mean, um, that uh, kind of um, policy element is obviously very, very important. I mean, we can talk about that a bit more in detail, but uh, the Norwegian government um, has announced in uh, it's um coalition contract actually that it wants to um yeah basically get out of this system so i mean watching the policy and regulatory side on on that and is is obviously important and then i would say i mean given the awareness of of low carbon solutions and strengthening legal and regulatory framework and and also changing consumer choices i'm i'm quite bullish for geo prices actually in the mid to long run um even though i expect volatility to to likely persist in this market because um yeah it's still a relatively fragmented market as you mentioned earlier richard so it's it's very <laughs> difficult in a way to keep track of all the different kind of technologies vintages um yeah, and, and probably a bit more, um, let's say, premium contracts, um, which are also having like some geographical um, kind of selection criteria there. But in the end, everything is in a way driven by the, the increasing voluntary commitment to consume renewable electricity, right, through corporate target setting, which uh, will, uh, yeah, in my view, keep the demand side growing. Mm, absolutely. And if we're talking about prices, you know, in the euro denomination rather than Euro cents, obviously, then geos become much more interesting for producers and and for people wanting to sign PPAs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this will play a much larger role also when it comes to to PPAs, actually, in terms of um, integrating this more and more into um, contract contract structures there. So to to basically provide um, a relatively um, significant income stream then as well on on that. There are some markets on there like uh, Dutch or Belgian. Geos that have traded a premium to Nordic Hydro. Do you see that kind of flattening out, or do you think always some some local guarantees of origin are going to be more expensive than the sort of generic, if you like, the benchmark uh, Nordic Hydro ones? I, I think the more um, attention you you pay to attributes, um, obviously, will kind of justify a premium, right? Because obviously, there you you are much more picky in terms of the. <laughs> guarantees of origin that you would accept um, against your own targets so uh, which 
obviously comes then with a certain restriction um, on the available supply. Um, so I would expect this premium to um, to maintain um, whenever you specify. And I mean, this is again, I think also tying into yeah a little uh, a little other discussion. But um, I mean, at the moment, um, this um, the, the current system of geos is is basically a system where you you basically get a get a chunk of geos which are marked against like an annual production um, of renewable kind of electricity but there are some corporates for instance who want to go further and um, kind of matching actually um, their electricity consumption uh, on a 24 7 contract right on an hourly basis per year so this is another kind of um, potential development in this market i i could foresee as, as a very interesting premium uh, opportunity um, so to basically provide these hourly contracts to the market but again early and they stages. would trade at a premium yeah, yeah that yeah. would trade at a premium um, for sure because you have to make sure that you're actually with every hour <laughs> in the year you have to to provide that electricity right which is then a bit more like fluctuating um obviously um over the day in terms of prices um, and will set certain investment signals to those hours where it is very difficult to produce um, electricity from from renewable sources right and, and kind of make sure that uh, there is an incentive for building out kind of more generation uh, assets uh, to cover these hours. You mentioned this 24-7 developments. Do you see this becoming more relevant or gaining more prominence in the months to come? Yeah, I think there is uh, is a growing uh, kind of interest in in kind of um, matching consumption uh, with production um, on on kind of a very, let's say, granular, uh, in, in a very granular matter, right? So I mean, with geos at the moment, it's current. It's, it's basically possible to provide information on location and technology, but there is no exact timestamp on it. And I think this means that basically, current geo system, you buy a certain amount of renewable power from a producer as a bulk contract, you use that against your annual compliance, right? So, I would say an hourly or an even fifteen-minute certificate would solve basically, um, yeah, or, or would kind of um, create a higher um, administrative burden or to to kind of manage and certify but at the same time it would basically provide yeah much more support in a way to the discussion on intermittency and uh, basically the intermittent availability of an of, of, of renewable power right because you would in a way create this incentive to basically generate renewable power on an ongoing basis which i think is, is the direction we're we're heading to right i mean if you see how the power system is is developing and and how the how also the demand from the policy side is developing uh, towards um, more and more renewables which are required to run baseload in order to kind of uh, basically um, meet our climate targets there is a need for more constant coverage of uh, or, or matching of demand and supply and i think this uh, 24/7 um, geos can play um, a role in in incentivizing that mm, and perhaps it could also encourage things like storage or demand response as well at the same time yeah that depends then in a way i guess on, on how you how you create such a system and um who could claim basically the, the certificates and also what the pricing level would be right uh, whether this incentivizes in a way support structure to uh, to kind of um, store uh, and release renewable um, electricity at uh, different points in time so I think this, in, in the end, it's a question of like how how such a certificate system would would then be uh, basically designed. Marcus, we we both live in Norway, and you mentioned what was in the Norwegian government's coalition agreement. What are your expectations here? I mean, there's been there's been no more detail since it was mentioned in the agreement. I mean, what what do you think will happen here, both in terms of the eventual outcome and 
and in terms of the the, the time it can take. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I find it always fascinating how like one sentence can actually um, stir up a whole market, right? Or put it into question in a way. So <laughs> it was a one sentence uh, kind of statement in the Hurda platform, which is the government or the the coalition contract, um, which basically said that Norway shall basically go out of the the geo system, right? Um, in order to prioritize the country's energy needs. Yeah, there is obviously lots of discussion on why this has happened. So, um, I mean, Norway is, is a very renewable, heavy country. So around 98% of the electricity generation is, is renewable, which basically uh, means that industrials are claiming that uh, all of their production they do here is based on renewable power. Um, and they do not see the need necessarily to buy um, geos to prove that, right? I mean, which is in a way... It's a question on how you actually see this um, or whether you accept that this geo system is existing or not. Because uh, when, when Norway is exporting geos to, uh, to, the, to the rest of Europe um, and is not canceling it domestically, uh, on an accounting basis, obviously, those um, industrials are producing with, with grey power, right? I mean, as you said, um, there's no further explanation when or how. Uh, the government wants to remove the system and there's also no further explanation on whether there are plans replacing it with for instance a domestic like a domestic geo system so i also think it remains very unclear whether such a move would be at all compatible with the ea agreement so i mean i remain relatively skeptical that the norwegian government will be able to follow up to its announcement as it stands there right so i mean there needs to be a very credible system replacing this which then is in a way accredited by the, by the EU to, to kind of um, yeah, potentially swap um, from one geo system to another, which um, yeah is, is in a way a bit beyond of, of what's uh, what's in the in the platform. Yeah, and I, I think when when we talk about the consequences for the market, yeah, as as we said, Norway is the largest issue of geos within the uh, the AIB. And uh, I mean the Norwegian geo issuance in twenty one, I think, was around one hundred and fifty terawatt hours um, were. Around 29 terawatt hours were cancelled in, in, in 21. So we talk about a geo or a net geo export of around 125 terawatt hours from, from Norway to the rest of Europe, right? So if you use kind of the current Nordic, Nordic hydro geo price, like the vintage 22 price of 230 euros per megawatt hour, um, the annual export value of Norwegian geos is valued around 290 million euros. So this is a significant um, income stream, obviously. And uh, yeah, in a way, puts up the question, right? Um, what is in a way the benefit of, of scrapping this? So saving some part of the cost on the Norwegian industry for purchasing geos obviously comes at the expense of a much higher lost income stream for Norwegian producers. And at the same time, likely an increase in European geo prices as well, um, given the reduced supply from Norway then. When you say AIB, for those listeners who are not aware of that, that's the Association of Issuing Bodies, which basically is the, the governing body of the geo market, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Marcus. Yeah, that's uh, totally correct. And also, obviously, the, the, the issue is of attracting investments into Norway, you know, data centers or, you know, whatever they might be getting the even renewable operators or corporates to come in if they won't be able to get a guarantee of origin from renewable energy production. Yeah, I think this is, um, I mean, as I said, I, I think uh, just removing it is, is probably not the key, right? So you would need to replace it with another um, system, which um, de facto replaces the current income stream with something else, uh, which makes it attractive to to build out um, these generation assets. And that's uh, where we are still waiting for a proposal from the Norwegian government to evaluate the impact. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled on that and we'll be, uh, all our reporters uh, here at Montel will be 
covering that in, in close detail should there be any changes. But there's also another aspect to the geo market which I'd like to touch on, and that is the UK's role, you know, post Brexit. To our understanding here that the UK is allowing some European guarantees of origin into its system. Is would that be correct? Yeah, so um Ofgem is um basically recognize or is able to recognize GOs issued by other EU member states, which yeah, basically means that um there is a certain issue again with countries like Norway because <laughs> um, they're unable to recognize any GO equivalents that are issued by non-EU member states. And if Norway decided not to be an EU member state uh, some time back, Ofgem will not be able to recognize Norwegian GOs, but the uh, EU member state issued ones. So for the continental EU markets to the UK, um, you would need explicit uh, booking and nomination of interconnector capacity, which in a way is in the same period as the generation. So um, GO certificates or cancellation certificates um, specify the month of generation um so which basically would need to be uh, reflected within the same yeah or, or you would need to have explicit trading uh within the same month as the generation to make this transfer happening we're seeing that a little bit we're seeing some remit messages where companies are buying and selling the same capacity on the Nord Stream link cable and this is a part of the guarantee of origin uh, market would that be a, a, a fair assumption yeah, I would say so. I think this is reflected there. The UK regos trade at quite a large premium to the Nordic Hydro. If the Nordic Hydro is at two thirty, the UK's maybe double that, or is it maybe triple that even? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite quite bullish. Um, so the prices for non-bio regos, um, so the the dark green regos, is around seven pounds per megawatt hour. So uh, it's quite a substantial um, kind of upside from the Nordic Hydro one, um, and biomass is a I think it's currently above five pounds per megawatt hour. So, I mean, we, we have a certain backwardation uh, here in the market, but um, it's still uh, trading higher than uh, than Nordic Hydro ones. If we can now, I know you're you're also an expert on uh, on Europe's carbon market, Marcus. You've been an analyst and and looking at the market for for many many years. Can you explain what's currently happening with carbon prices? The almost touched 100 and now it's almost back down to 80 what, what, what's going on there it's a very interesting development i would say and uh, there is a lot of overlap between different factors so i think the underlying topics remain unchanged compared to the weeks before so um, we still have a very high energy complex favoring coal over gas burn um, we have a risk premium associated with the uh, ukrainian russian tension we have continued interest by investors um, in the low carbon space um, but we have seen Quite a few, let's say, developments on the policy and regulatory side, um, which, um, yeah, so that uh, element is gaining influence at the moment. Um, there is the amendment uh, phase in the European Parliament on the ETS review and the MSR file, uh, which is in full swing. So we see news there coming out every day. Um, and we also have seen that some member states started to hand out free allowances to industrials um, for this year, um, which at least some market sources quoted as uh, being one of the bearish price drivers over the past few days. I mean, overall, I'd consider the market still slightly disconnected um, from fundamentals. Um, so we see lots of technical trading and, and the market at the moment acts a lot as well on proxy drivers, uh, which dictate the daily moves. Um, so you have these underlying factors and you have development on the regulatory policy side. But at the same time, um, I would still say that the overall price level 
um, is still um, a bit inflated compared to what the fundamentals show us. Mm. And when you say proxy drivers, Marcus, what do you mean there? Well, that means that the market reacts on a daily basis to um, news inflows, but uh, not necessarily reflecting um, the overall price level, not re- necessarily reflecting the, the fundamental value um, of the market. We're recording on the 18th of February. Um, so listeners, you, you have a whole week in which a lot could change. But generally, we're seeing, you mentioned the European Parliament uh, and Peter Lisi, the MEP. Do you expect there to be more stringent price controls mechanisms? Or has this been kind of blown a bit out of proportion? Yeah, so Lisi is actually the uh, rapporteur for the ETS review file. Um, so he... Um he just um, put out an amendment um, to, to change the Article 29A, which is basically the price containment mechanism in the ETS. So, I mean, there there's lots of, uh, of amendments flying around in Brussels, right? <laughs> and I mean, especially at this uh, phase of the legislative and regulatory process, a lot of things can happen. I mean, what we see, I think, what the market witnesses is um, that mo- a lot of these amendments um, that we have seen in, in the recent past uh, are probably considered to slightly weaken the Commission's original proposal, market and price wise, right? And I think this is, um, yeah, that's one of the elements that uh, that is currently impacting the market. Um, when we look into the amendment of Article 29A specifically, I'm not sure if you want to go into the details, but I'm just uh, probably. Yeah, just repeating for, for the listeners what, what it is about at the moment. So, so at the moment, if for um, a period of six consecutive months, the average EOA price increases by more than three times the average of the preceding two years, the Commission's Climate Change Committee is empowered to inject additional volumes via auctions, basically. And Peter Lisa's amendment now basically says that allowances would be automatically released into the market. So without necessarily the Climate Change Committee needing to take action, once the UA price um, exceeds for more than six consecutive months again, um, but uh, basically the yeah basically double the average of the previous two years, so kind of lowering this um, this trigger level, right? So in in such case, um, 100 million allowances from the MSR shall come to the market over a period of six months. So there is a bit more of an automatism, auto, automatism in, uh, in here. Um, and it's, it's also lowering, in a way, the threshold or the trigger level, right? Which makes the application of the article more likely, I would say, uh, because the threshold for the procedure to kick in gets lowered. But at the same time, I mean, if you introduce such a change now, when this price really has kind of taken place uh, over the past few months and I mean, before this is implemented, we will probably see another two years going by. The the ETS price, if it remains at these levels of like, uh, I don't know, 70, 80, 90 um, euros per ton. I mean, then we talk about a trigger level of uh, something between 140 to 180 euros, right? Which again, seems rather unlikely that, that the Article 29A would mm. be triggered. So a lot of these reactions in the market have been overblown, would you say then? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it's in a way, it's a reality check of the current price levels, right? And again, it's in light of what has happened last year. So the price rally as it took off was justified to a certain extent, I would say, from a fundamental perspective. Um, so, but then at some point, we, we basically, um, left in a way the, um, the fuel switch range in the market, right? Um, so basically where um, a higher gas price would make a difference, um, the ETS price still continued to climb, which um, at some point then was more on technical trigger levels and uh, and basically um, also sentiment. Um, so I think we're currently just 
seeing a bit of a recheck of whether this price level justifies the, the fundamental side of the market. Um, and I mean, I personally think that um, when, when we see gas prices potentially coming off um, over the, the next year or so, um, the ETS price should steadily correct to levels between 70 and 80 euros, probably within this year still. Um, and I think what we see at the moment is a bit of this reality check that, that happens. Hmm. When I say overblown, I meant more the reaction to the, uh, the Article 29 uh, proposal when you know you're talking yeah. maybe 140 180 euros in 2 years time you know it's uh, seems to be a bit disjointed from what's happening currently now in the market yeah i think um i mean in the end um it's not only that article 29a right which is kind of flying around there so i mean we are also seeing uh, a few reports actually in terms of or at least a discussion whether or not to to kind of put more uh, more stricter checks on the investor side of the market so actually, there is an, a report um, by ESMA expected end of March, um, which mm. is basically the, the bit, uh, more detailed report following what we have seen um, in last year as an initial report where the, where ESMA actually should look into the correct functioning of the market, right? Um, and I think this is um, also um, joined by a follow-up report by the commission on the on the previous toolbox communication, which is expected for, for end of March. So and and in this regard, there is um, kind of different camps around who um, also um, advocate for introducing position limits, for restricting the participation of financial players, for instance. Um, and uh, I think this is uh, a debate which obviously leaves a certain mark on the on the current price uh, or on the current market behavior um, in the ETS as well. Absolutely, something what you know. Obviously, there'll be there'll be drafts. There'll be that mean there'll be leaks, and and prices will react. We've have actually discussed this before, haven't we, Mark? Is the the, the curbing speculators aspect of, of the ETS and and how that should proceed. But um, I think that's about all we've got time for today. And hopefully, maybe after the ESMA report comes out uh, and we have more, we know a bit more about what's going on, we can return it and discuss it once again. But. Thank you very much, Marcus, for an excellent overview of, of current um, developments in the guarantees of origin market and what to expect in the ETS. So thank you. Pleasure, Richard. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message, any suggestions, questions, or you know, let us know if you, if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.